Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Let's pray together. Lord God, we we come we come gathered here in your presence. We come first giving thanks. We could not utter those words that it's well with our souls if it wasn't for you. So we begin with thanksgiving, thanking you that you have made us right with God, Lord Jesus, through your sacrifice, through your death, your burial, your resurrection. It's the only way our souls can be well. So we thank you that you offered us life to give our souls life. Holy Spirit, we we come thanking you. Thanking you that you are in us, living in us, guiding us, comforting us, speaking to us, leading us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making our souls well. And Father God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for your grace upon grace again this day. We just praise your name. We love you. We thank you that even in the midst of storms, you are our shelter. You are our hiding place. You are our refuge so that we can say it is well with our souls. Thank you, Lord. Guide us now. Open our hearts to receive all that we need from you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would have unhindered sway in this place, that you would be present as we know you have promised you would be, that you are here. So we surrender our hearts and minds to you. Now guide us, lead us into all truth. Correct us, move us to action whatever that might be for our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Glad you're with us. And um, thank you for having masked up. Uh, And if you're comfortable, uh, once you're seated and in place, uh, feel free to pull that mask down and take a deep breath if that helps you at all. And um, Glad you're here. Uh, let me say to all of the moms that I haven't gotten to already, I tried to get to most of you as you were coming in to say happy Mother's Day personally to you, um, but happy Mother's Day. In fact, if you are a, a mom in our midst today, I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Would you just stand up for a moment? Just stand up for a moment. Yay! Keep, keep standing, just, just keep standing, just in case you haven't been applauded for yet today. We want to make sure you feel uh, just, uh, just joy-filled because somebody clapped for you. I know moms don't get clapped for often over their mothering, but we want you to, to know we love you. And one of the ways that we have chosen to express our love for you this day is we have invited some moms to uh, come and lead our time of prayer for you. Uh, because as much as I love praying for you, I think mamas 
understand mamas better than me. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to ask our moms to start making their way up here. Kate, Kate Jaco is coming. Um, she's going to be, we, we have moms from different age groups. They're going to come up and kind of spread out a little bit. And uh, so uh, Miss Kara is coming up. She's going to be praying for uh, grandmas there. Thank you guys for setting these microphones. And Selena Fleming, she's the mom of some teenagers, so she's going to be leading uh, prayers for moms that land there, and uh, Kate for, for moms of preschool and children. So uh, Kate, if you would start us off, and then ladies, just as you would uh, on the Lord's leadership, lead us as we pray. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the women, for the moms and mother figures in this church. I want to pray especially for the moms of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners, the work they do in raising these children to know you and to love you and others well is so important. I pray that you'll encourage the hearts of these moms as they answer the 100th why or can I of the day. Help them to find rest in you and in your promises throughout their busy days. These moms wear many hats and have many identities as mom, wife, friend, daughter, um, but I ask that you'll remind them of their first identity as your beloved child and that they will know how precious they are to you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and these moms who do so much to love their children well, and I pray that they will just receive your grace and mercy every morning. Lord, we lift up to you the mothers of teenagers, and we thank you for the beautiful uh, task we have of just transitioning our Just thank you that even in the darkest moments is privilege to have this role. Lord, we ask that first and foremost that you draw us into you so that we can be prepared for the journey ahead. Lord, we ask that you strengthen our faith so that we can lead them well and keep our eyes just focused on you. Lord, we ask comfort for when we are nervous and raw, um, that you will just comfort and hold us. Lord, we ask peace for those who are struggling to make sense of kind of the roller coaster that we're off and on. Lord, we ask that you give us patience and love, um, just supernatural patience and love for those many, many moments of frustration um, that may come. Lord, help us to recall what it was like to be young so that we can be empathetic and um, just help lead them with kindness. Lord, we ask you to help us protect them. Um, help us to just have words of truth to speak into their lives and hearts so that they can resist just the many dangers that are out there. I pray that each day that you help us to guide them, not, not push our agenda, but to guide them, to discipline instead of punishing, to give them the attention they need without smothering them, and Lord, that you help us to challenge them and not overwhelm them. Father God, just help us to be a safe place for our teenagers and students. Second Timothy 1.5 ESV says, I am reminded of your sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
Our Father, I come to you this morning. I thank you for Christian grandmothers that lead by example. I thank you for the senior ladies in our church, for the joy of serving with them. I know the desires for our grandchildren. Bless our efforts as we instill Christian values in their hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much, ladies. And God bless you, moms. Y'all give them another hand. Thank you, moms. If uh, you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, if you would open them to uh, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, I I know it's Mother's Day, and I'm going to uh, call this a non-traditional Mother's Day message, okay? Okay. we're going to be dealing, continuing in our series of flourishing. I thought about interrupting it and kind of doing a focus on, uh, on, on moms, but I, I think this will. Uh, one of the things that I have discovered when I've had conversations with moms is they long for deep, rich, relational connection with their kids or grandkids, um, with the father of their kids. They, they, moms long for this, the, these rich relationships. And what I have seen uh, over the years is this, that the thing that destroys the possibility of those kinds of deep relationships that moms long for is something, uh, it destroys it like nothing else, and that is unforgiveness. Uh, I have watched unforgiveness, and, and you've seen it too, um, just rip families apart. So many marriages are, are, are existing in that state. Um, parent-child relationships are I- existing I- in that state. And I actually believe the Lord just said, push into this. This was uh, kind of on my heart for this series, was to do a message on, on forgiveness because it is a great path to flourishing. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading, uh, starting in verse 23. It's a parable that Jesus tells. It's a kingdom parable. It's a parable about the kingdom of God. Now, we talked about the kingdom of God uh, several weeks back, what it looks like to, to flourish in the kingdom of God. I told you then that my favorite uh, definition of what the kingdom of God is comes from a guy who uh, has been transformative in teaching uh, in my life, uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard's definition of the kingdom of God is simply this. It's the range of of God's effective will. The range of God's effective will. And he goes on to say it's where what God wants done gets done. It's done. And so that's, that's the definition, and I believe that flourishing uh, in this life, forgiveness has to get, get done. Dallas Willard goes on to say that the kingdom is accessible now. In other words, it's open to anyone who would step in, and to do that, we've got to find God's path for flourishing. And so Jesus gives this kingdom parable, and I just want to go ahead and warn you, it, it's kind of shocking it's going to be a little shocking when we get to the, to the end of the parable. Je- Je- Jesus is going to say some things that's going to kind of, kind of, kind of jolt you. I think he intends for it, it to jolt you. But he gives a very clear answer to a question that Peter asks him. Peter asked this, comes to Jesus in verse 21. You can read it if you want to. We're going to ju- kind of jump over it. Let me just give you the context. Peter comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, he says, hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who's wronged me? And instead of waiting for Jesus to give him the number, 
Peter jumps in with a number. Should it be seven? Now, I don't know Peter's heart. I don't know the motivation for it. Um, it may have truly been something that he wrestled with. Uh, I, I think it was probably more Peter. You know, there was this competition among the disciples who was greatest, who, kind of who loved Jesus more, who was going to get to sit at his right or left hand. I think Peter was still playing to the competition thing here. See, in that day, the kind of known teaching of rabbis basically said that the magic number for forgiving somebody who repetitively harmed you was three times. Three strikes, you're out. They didn't even have baseball back then. How did they know that? I don't know. But it was basically a three-strike system, common, common teaching of that day. So Peter comes to Jesus, I think, maybe to show off a little bit and says, it's seven, isn't it, Jesus? I'd do seven, Jesus, you know, um, because it was like twice as much plus one or something like that, you know. I, I think that's right for math. Somebody check me on that. But that's, that was kind of what Peter did, and I, I, I think he was kind of, you know, showing off. And, and Jesus takes that on, and Jesus says to him, not seven times, Peter. Some translations say 70 times seven. Some translations say 77 times. It, it, it doesn't make any difference, the number. Jesus is basically blowing up the, this numeric system that Peter, you know, was, was coming with. And then, because Jesus just gives him this very short answer, Jesus expounds on it. He teaches on forgiveness by giving this parable of what life in the kingdom would look like. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start reading in verse 23. Jesus says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven to mean the kingdom of God. They're interchangeable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one was brought to him, this is a servant, one was brought to him to, who owed 10,000 talents. I'm not going to talk about the, the amount, but it's astronomical. We'll get to that later. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring this king. He said to him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything, which is ridiculous when you see how much it was. I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, very small amount, hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him. Look at what he says. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Same words, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy with you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, the parable ends, and Jesus makes a statement. So also, my heavenly Father 
will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, I want to start at the end of this parable and work our way backwards because it is so easy to be caught off guard by what Jesus says here about his father. And I want to I take a moment, a couple of moments here to talk a little bit about what forgiveness is not. This is not Jesus giving a new teaching on, on how to get to heaven, okay? While, while unforgiveness does have some eternal consequence, this is not like a new plan of salvation. Now, ab- absolutely, at the end of this account, the king who had forgiven the servant then turns around because of that servant's heart and puts him back into this prison, because he, he remained unchanged, he continued to be this vindictive person. And the, the, the king takes this formerly freed man and puts him into to jail. Some translations say that he might be punished or, or tortured. If you look at it again, verses uh, 34 and 35. In his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Please be captured by those last three words. If you underline in your Bible or highlight on your, you know, on your, on your what's that, your you version. Um, if you do that, you want to highlight those last three words. From your heart. Friends, you're not going to get to heaven because somebody owed you some money and you wrote it off as a business loss. That's not going to get you into heaven um, or, or, or a personal loss. F- forgiveness is not, cannot be used as a tool to kind of overcome ultimate outcomes, if you would. You're not going to be able to stand before God one day and say, um, you know, God say, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, well, because I forgave Fred of what he did to me. God's not going to say, oh, I completely forgot about that. Come on in. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not saying if you, you know, keep the cycle of forgiveness going, you know, that you're, you're, you're heaven bound or, you know, just if you don't, you're, you're, you're hell bound. See, there are some things that forgiveness just it is not. Forgiveness, for example, is not pretending that it didn't happen. It's not wishing that it didn't happen. It's not ignoring the hurt. It's not going to somebody and say, ah, oh, just, just, just forget about it. It's no big deal. Forgiveness also is not demanding that somebody, you know, repent or change before you forgive them. There are lots of things that forgiveness is not. Back in July of 2019, uh, Kathy and I were, um, we were out of town that weekend, and so we attended another church out of town. And uh, uh, the church we attended, a uh, pastor there is Pastor Williams, and he was doing a, a, a message on forgiveness. And it was, there was a part of that message that I know that God had us there for that message because we, we, we were actually planning to go to a different church and just at the last minute changed and went here. And in this message on forgiveness, he, he had one, he had several points, but one point my soul needed. 
And it was about what forgiveness is not. And so uh, it, I wrestled with it for a few weeks, and then I got kind of gave me breakthrough. And so I wrote to Pastor Williams and told him how incredible this had been transformative for a place I was in my life at this exact moment and thanked him. And I asked him for permission when God gave me the opportunity to speak on forgiveness and it would fit within the framework of that message, could I use that? And, and I remember what he wrote back and said, you can use anything I ever do. Um, he said, in fact, I'm sure I got this from somebody else. I don't remember who, but you can use anything I ever do. In fact, you can use anything our church ever does. You can just put your name on it. Well, th- that, was, that was precious to me because we do that all the time around here. We, we just give anything we've done away and say, just put your name on it. And so th- th- what I'm about to share with you came a- as a result of God speaking from Pastor Matt Williams um, I- I- into my life. And, and what he said that day, some of you are going to think, that was a big deal to you? It was. And I got a feeling it may be a big deal to a couple of others of you in here. Here are two other things that forgiveness is not. Can we bring that slide up, Cheryl? This is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not fellowship. And forgiveness is not trust. Those are three different things. Now, here's why we confuse them sometime, I think. I think we confuse them because in order to have fellowship with somebody who has harmed you, you're going to have to forgive them. In order to one day trust again somebody who has broken trust with you, you're going to have to forgive them. It's going to have to happen. But you do not have to have fellowship in order to have forgiveness. And you do not have to have trust in order to have forgiveness. And here's what happens. You'll, you'll read this, this parable that Jesus is, is reading, and he's talking about forgiveness, and the first thought that comes to your mind is, I can't go to lunch with him. Did Jesus say anything about going to lunch with him? Did Jesus say anything about having fellowship? He did not. Jesus said, you have to forgive them. Let, let, let me prove that you can forgive without having to have fellowship with them. Can you forgive somebody who has harmed you who has already passed on? You can. You can forgive in your heart somebody who has passed on. You're not going to have fellowship with them, but you can forgive them. See, we, we, we get these confused, and I think sometimes it's the trick of Satan to keep us from fully entering into the pathway of forgiveness. We cut it short when we get to that place where we think that I'm going to have to go to lunch with them now. It's not what Jesus said. When it comes to trust, if, if you lend somebody $1,000 to help them out of a bad place and you find out that they, they blow that $1,000 on, you know, booze and drugs or something like that, and they come back to you, you know, you, you forgive them, you, they come and ask forgiveness, you forgive them, they come back a month later in the same state saying, I, I need to borrow $1,000, and, and you look at them and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you the $1,000. And they say, I thought you forgave me. You can look them in the eye and say to them, I have forgiven you. But I, I don't trust that you're going to make a wise decision with this right now. See, forgiveness is not fellowship. And, and, and forgiveness is not trust. And so as we're pressing into this, do not hear what is not there. Okay. Jesus is talking about something very, very specific. He's talking about, uh, about forgiveness. And those three things are, are not the same. He's not aiming at fellowship here. He's not aiming uh, at, at, at trust here. You can forgive without 
ever entering fellowship. You can forgive without having that same level uh, of, of trust in somebody. It's, it's okay to, to have boundaries. So in order for us to be clear on what uh, forgiveness is, you've got to be clear on, on what it's not. And a moment ago, we said that, you know, forgiveness is not fellowship, it's not trust, it's not, you know, denying that things happen, and it's not a new plan of salvation. It's not this kind of new plan of salvation. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card, okay? It's not any uh, uh, of those things. If, if it could be, then there was no need for Jesus to come and sacrifice. If you could forgive enough, it's not any of those things. We need Jesus, just remind you of that. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us, for by grace, the grace of God, through faith in his son, Jesus. It's the only way that, that we're saved. It's not of any kind of work, not even the great work of forgiveness, so that, that we couldn't boast about it. No amount of good works, no matter how often and how many different people you forgive, will not be a permit pass to get you into heaven. So what is Jesus trying to tell us here? There's a reason I told you, underline those three last words. So important. This is a matter of the heart, from your heart. When Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive your brother, your sister, your neighbor, what he's saying is, it is an indicator of a soul condition. It is an indicator of maybe that your soul is not well. In, in your heart of hearts, if you have not opened up to the grace of God so fully to his mercy, to his forgiveness, if you haven't opened your heart so fully to that that you are becoming a dispenser of forgiveness, there's something wrong in your soul is what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's saying that one of the clearest indicators that you have received the full measure of forgiveness of God, that you get how much you've been forgiven is how you in turn dispense forgiveness. He, he's, he's saying that there really isn't a much better way for you to work out yourself. You know, the Bible tells us to work in our salvation with fear and trembling. There's not a better way for you to see the working of your salvation than testing, if you would, the work of forgiveness in your own life. Forgiveness, if, if you would think of it this way, forgiveness is a thermometer, Okay, it's not the thermostat. God's grace is the thermostat. You know, a thermostat on a car opens up so cooling can happen throughout your engine. It causes something to happen. A thermostat does. A thermometer just simply measures what has happened. Jesus is saying your forgiveness measures what's gone on in your soul. It measures how much of the grace of God is actively flowing through your life. And if it is not flowing through your life in such a way that forgiveness is coming out of you, that you're still angry, that you're still holding on to a grudge, it, that you know, you're living in kind of self-pity, and you get caught up in that cycle because from self-pity it goes to self-righteousness and self-centeredness, and it becomes all about you. If that train leaves the station, who are you becoming more like? Are you becoming more like Jesus when you kind of move down that self-pity, self-centered, self-righteousness path? Are you more like Jesus or more like Satan? If that's the train you're on. So the question is, okay, Joe, that's pretty heavy stuff. What's the good news? Well, there's always good news when Jesus talks. 
There's always good news. And the good news, the gospel message, has to do with this one who forgave an unpayable infinite debt. It, it was a gift of, of grace. And it's found, if, if you would, we're going to be in verse 27 in just a moment. See, the first servant was forgiven an, just an infinite debt. And this king and his kingdom does what he wants done. And it should have created in this servant a gracious spirit. You know, friends, to, to think, to say you believe that you have the gospel and to cling to unforgiveness means one of two things has happened. Either the, the effect of the gospel is blocked your, your thermostat is closed off and will not open and the grace of God will not flow through your life. It's either that or you have never experienced the grace of God yet. If unforgiveness is running rampant in your, in your heart and mind for, for your spirit's sake, for your soul's sake and for, for the sake of others. See, Jesus, the reason Jesus was so hard at the end, what sounded so harsh is because Jesus knows this is a matter of life and death. This has eternal ramifications as well as temporal ramifications. And so Jesus is trying to deal, kind of drill down deeper with Peter instead of one word answer and say, Peter, forgiveness is not about math. Forgiveness is a matter of the spiritual condition of your heart. It's deeper than that. It's about life in the kingdom of God, Peter. And there's no more powerful indicator than that the kingdom, you've entered it than checking the temperature of forgiveness in your life. And so the king had a way, a path, that Jesus tells us about in this, in this parable. And it's a path of the gospel. So I want you to see it with me. This, this kingdom way of forgiveness. Look back at verse 27. In Matthew 18, 27, we read this. Then his master, this, this king, was filled with pity over this servant who had fallen down and asked to be forgiven this master was filled with pity and he released him and he forgave his debt in that verse we see what I think of as kind of a three-part rhythm if you would of kingdom forgiveness the first part is simply this the king fully empathized with this transgressor the bible says that his master was filled with pity for him now, that word pity there is a word that has to do with your, with your heart. And if you don't allow your heart to, to step into this, to, to experience the grace of God, you're not going to avoid getting locked away in a prison of, of unforgiveness. And this is the first thing that happened. This king had compassion, if you would, on, on this servant. It's not just that word pity isn't just feel sorry for. It literally has to do with the positioning of your heart. Will you let your heart go out for another? And the only real way to do that, I believe, is you have to first remind yourself just how much like that person who has harmed you, you are. You have to, you have to put yourself in that camp. See, our normal fleshly response is to look at that person who has harmed us and to point out how many ways I'm not like them. In our mind, we're, that, that, that's the process. To, what, what we want to do is magnify our differences because that allows me to fuel my anger. It allows me to fuel my, my unforgiveness. Has anybody in here ever had like a, one of those character 
caricature drawings done of themselves. If you had one of those done, or, or maybe you've seen somebody that had one done, maybe at the fair or something like that. You know, they come out a lot of times during the political season, these caricatures. And what the, those caricature artists do is they find the one flaw in your face. And they magnify that sucker. So if you've got kind of a little bit of a big nose, you get a really big nose. You know, if you got, you know, if your ears kind of poke out, you know, they're flying in the breeze, you know. It, they, they caricature that. Folks, that's what we do when we start down the path of unforgiveness. We have to caricature that person's humanity because we're wanting to push them out of the human gene pool. We, we, we create in our minds uh, something to dehumanize them while at the same time what we're trying to do is supersize ourselves. You know, superhumanize our, ourselves so that we don't have to think about ourselves being like them. And Jesus us, is showing us here the king's heart to point out, here's the kingdom pathway. You've got to let your heart connect with where they are. You've got to have empathy. You're going to have to practice because you're not going to do it naturally. You're going to have to practice a spiritual discipline, habit of empathy. You've got to start by confessing in your own mind that though I may not have done exactly what that person there did, I've done this and I'm capable of this. You've got to have one of those air but by the grace of God go I moments if you want to ever walk the path out of the prison of unforgiveness. You, it's got to start by ending this dehumanization of somebody else. Stop trying to point out how they don't belong in the same class as you do if you're going to have an empathetic heart for them. The king started there. His heart went out. He empathized. Second thing that we see the king doing is the king, the Bible says, completely released the transgressor. It says his master released him. And friends, I want to say this is, this is probably going to be the, the, the most difficult point in the journey. If you get to this point, you're on your way well. But if you don't let your heart out first, you'll never get here. You'll just kind of walk into a prison and, and pull the door shut. And if you don't take this next step of releasing them, you will turn the, turn the key that locks the, that, that cell that you have now imprisoned yourself in. See, the, the, the king doesn't deny that this servant did something wrong. You know, this, this servant did something wrong. He had either mismanaged or maybe embezzled, and he owed this king money. It, when you set out to forgive someone who's harmed you, somewhere along the journey, the thought's going to come to you. But they need to be held accountable. That, that thought's going to come. That justice needs to happen. And I'm not saying it doesn't. Jesus isn't saying it, it, it doesn't. Some people will say, I can't forgive until justice comes. And outwardly, what you're saying is I'm seeking justice when what you're really looking for is revenge. You're looking for, for vengeance. You're saying it's, it's about justice, and there's going to be this great tension here. And I want to say, if, if you find yourself hearing that voice, what you need to do, if justice needs to come quickly, you need to find somebody else to bring the justice. And you've got to walk away from it. If you're going to try to deliver the justice before you get to the path of forgiveness, 
You can't start with justice. You have to start with forgiveness. Again, that's why your heart has to go out first. If you're going to release this person, if you're going to get on this pathway uh, of forgiveness, you can't seek justice first. You've got to wait till the forgiveness train has left the station with you so that you will not be pursuing revenge. And so to begin with, you're, you just got to consider yourself ineligible as the bringer of justice. You, you, you've got to do that. Friends, in, in our day, we live in this era of cancel culture where what, you know, we, we don't want to just, you know, get that person to say, I'm sorry. We want to wipe them from the face of the planet. We, we just want to completely push them a, a, away. We want them canceled. We want their livelihood canceled. We want, you know, their family, their heritage. We just want it all done. What we're talking about here in releasing is the complete opposite of that. It's completely opposite of that. And so this king's heart went out. This, this king released this one. Didn't want to cancel them. And, and then this king, the third step on the journey, it says, forgave the debt of the transgressor. Verse 27 says, his master forgave his debt. And this really is the very heart of the forgiveness journey and, and really where the thermometer indicates that forgiveness has begun to happen because you're not going to press the button on this cancel culture thing. You want, you want to see the power of forgiveness here in, in, in Jesus' parable. You've got to be captured if you're going to see the power of it, you've got to be captured by how much this particular servant owed the king. Now, when, when I went and read and searched out commentators, they used a number that wasn't, didn't start with an M like millions. It started with B, billions. This servant owed billions to this king, comparatively speaking to, you know, the monetary value in our day. Now, I think if you really thought deeply about this, the first question that might come in our minds is, um, how did a servant end up with billions of dollars worth of debt? Well, in, in Jesus' day, I think his audience would have gotten it. Um, we don't. Our, our thoughts about, you know, servants is like Downton Abbey. You know, there's the upstairs people and the downstairs people. These are the servants, you know, that's just... That's just it's cut off. So all our frame of reference is for when a servant is the downstairs people. But in a kingdom where there's a king, it, back in the days that Jesus lived, there were, you know, there were ambassadors, there were governors, there were people who were powerful, there were people who had prominence, there were people who were in relationship to the king, close to the king. Th think of this. Joseph, back in Genesis, Joseph rose up to what rank in Pharaoh's kingdom? Man, he was second in command, okay? But he was still the king's what? Servant. Uh, think about Daniel. Daniel rose up in the kingdom of Babylon. Man, he was right under the king. He was the king's advisor, but he was still the king's what? Servant. See, we, we, we just think upstairs, downstairs thing about servant. This could be a, a really close friend, a, an advisor that this king's dealing with. And somehow, whether it was through mismanagement or embezzlement or something like that, this, this guy had lost so much of this king's kingdom uh, monetary value. Now, you know, it, we, we read it and think, oh, ain't that just so sweet that he just forgave the debt? 
But guess what still had to happen? Kingdom things still had to go on, didn't they? I mean, kings still had to build roads, repairs bridges, pay the army so they don't mutiny, you know, kind of thing on him. All of that still had to happen. So this was not no easy, you know, just blow it off matter when the king had to forgive this debt. He absorbed it. He, he took on the pain. He took on the loss. Friends, anytime, anytime there's this exchange of forgiveness, there is a loss. When you forgive, you choose to absorb the loss instead of forcing the other to pay the debt. You, you just uh, uh, absorb the debt. So what does that look like when, um, when we're not talking about, you know, money? When we're not talking about, you know, somebody borrowed some money from you and didn't, didn't pay you back? What, what does that really look like? How, do you, how does that experience look like? Well, you could, you could lose your reputation. You, you could lose a friend. You could lose your status in, in public. You could lose followers on your social media account. You, you, could, you could lose. Even though it's not a monetary debt, there's still this debt. You feel it. And you feel that that other person owes you something. So what, what will you do if you don't forgive? In that scenario, well, you, you could do one of two things. You could try to make them pay by hurting them back. By you know, slandering them or gossiping about them. You could just purposefully choose, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cut them out. You know, you could try to cancel them, you know, or, or you could just say, I'm just gonna give them the cold shoulder. I'm, ne- I'm never speaking to this person again. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna cut them off or I'm gonna go to them and I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind so that they hurt as much as I hurt. I want them to feel horrible. That's one way. The other way is to just secretly, kind of in your heart, Rejoice when bad things start happening to them. Just secretly have a little party when suffering comes their way. No matter which of those two paths you take, either way, you are still in that prison cell. You have still pulled the door shut. You have still turned the key because that's still moving you away from being like Jesus. So what's the alternative? What's, what's the gospel alternative? Well, your heart has to go out. The first thing that you have to do to get your heart to go out is you have to stop playing those crazy mental tapes. Just, you know, hit and rewind so that you can play what they did to you back. You, you, you got to stop that hurt. You know, when you want to slice them up, when you want to secretly cheer on their demise, what you have to do is you have to cut off the flow of oxygen to that thinking. You, you have to sever that, that path to... To, to self-pity, that path to self-centeredness, that path to self-righteousness. You can't feed that beast anymore. And what you have to do is apply the gospel. So here's what you do. You take your eyes off of those reels and you look at Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of your You look at Jesus. You put your eyes on Jesus. The one who chose, the one who could have canceled you completely but chose not to cancel you. You look to the one who released you. You look to the one whose heart went out to you. You look to the one who forgave your debt. And you do all of that before you feel like it. Friends, if you wait until you feel like it to start down that kingdom path, you will never feel like it and you'll never do it. Never. You have to choose this pathway. If you wait to start feeling forgiveness before you pursue forgiveness, it will never happen. That's why why the scriptures tell us 
Jesus said this. Mark records it in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. When, you, when you're praying, if you're standing praying, if you hold anything, if you're holding anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins so that you might experience that flow of grace being opened up and released in your life. Jesus, above everyone, knows that when you forgive, it costs you something. It causes you to suffer something. But Jesus knows that when you pay that price, freedom comes to many. Hope comes to many. Healing comes to many. See, Jesus knows it's not easy. He, he, he gets that. And that's why, that's why he has provided a pathway, but he has also provided some assets you, you have at your disposal some kingdom assets that help us in the path of forgiveness. Before, before Peter asked his question about um, how many times do I forgive, if you go back a few verses earlier to, to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus tells us about some resources we have at our disposal when somebody sins against us. It says this, in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. There is this, this kingdom assets that Jesus is telling us are at our disposal. Tools, if you would, to help you on that journey. And here's the first asset. It's, it's the positioning of your heart. It's, it's my heart's motivation. That's the first asset. God allows you to choose the positioning of your heart. What's going to be the motivation of your heart? And Jesus tells us in verse 15, here's what our motivation should be. You have won back your brother. Our, our heart's motivation going into this is, I want to gain my brother back. I, I, want, I want to redeem what's happened in, in my brother's life. Now, to do that, I've... You, again, you're going to need to wait till that's in your heart before you go to them because the, the purpose of going to them and telling them what they've done is not, is not to make them feel bad. It's not so they are more aware of their wrongdoing. It's to bring them back. See, when you go and you utilize this kingdom asset, you're going to have to go the way that Jesus came to us. Paul gives us a vision uh, of what that would look like. He wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. We read these words, Paul saying, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You have, you have received a calling of life in Christ. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You go to that person first in humility and gentleness. You know, that's how Jesus came here. The Bible says that he left heaven. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, and he took on the form of what? A servant. And he suffered even to the point of death on, on the cross. He humbled himself. He came in gentleness. That passage that Paul writes said, you're going to have to practice some patience. Jesus was patient with us. It says you're going to have to bear with the other person. Jesus bore a great burden in his body on the cross. Jesus bore those things. It may take that other person that you've confronted some time to work through it. 
but the goal is redemption of that other person. The goal is to, to win them back so that they don't stay locked in their own prison and you get out of prison too and everybody gets to experience freedom. But some of you have taken that first step with somebody before and you went humbly and you went gently and what you got was they blew you off. Well, the Bible says, let me give you another asset for approaching and appropriating forgiveness. You take some other like-minded brothers, other Christ followers along with you. And so here's, do not go looking for that brother or sister who is the banner of truth, justice in the American way. No, sorry. um, You got to be careful about who you select to go with you. They need to have a spirit of humility and gentleness too. They don't need to be the, you know, Jesus bouncer kind of thing, okay? They, they need to be gentle and humble too. And let me say this, because Jesus talks about them being a witness. It, it, it will help if they have also experienced the same kind of pain from that person themselves. If they have a relationship with that person, that really can be very, very important. Have you ever, have you ever been exposed to, maybe participated in, or have some awareness of what an intervention is? An intervention is when people who love somebody go and step into life with them, many of them having been, having bore the weight, the pain, the sorrow of a relationship with this person because of maybe some addiction or compulsion uh, compulsion or just, you know, repetitive bad behavior. We don't, we don't know always what it is, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. This is not, we're going to gang up on this person. That's not what it's about. The goal is still to win this brother back, this sister back. The, the goal is to, is to reconcile and, and redeem. We need to think in these terms. And so Paul gives us some instructions even in that. Galatians chapter 6, we read this. Brothers, this is plural now. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And while you're doing it, Paul reminds us, keep watching yourselves lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So easy on this journey to fall into the temptation, to write them off, to dive back into the anger towards them if they kind of push you away. But this is what God's word calls us to do so that we can be unlocked from the prison. We've got to return to the compassion of the king. Challenge you. Go through the Gospels and, and, and count. What is the most prominent emotion that the Bible gives us uh, of Jesus? Most prominent emotion. It's either compassion or sorrow that's related to the compassion. That's what we see with Jesus. That is the, the most uh, written about in the Gospels emotion that we see Jesus expressing. And what it, what it means is Jesus' heart was always going out. Jesus' heart was always empathizing with us. His heart was always going out first. He didn't hold his heart close. He, he, he put his heart out there for you and for me. You know, again, it's so easy for us to write them just write them off. But Jesus was filled with, with compassion for us. And so we've got to start there. We, we've got to start by following Jesus and seeing what, what the king does. See, that's the heart of Jesus. And friends, if, if forgiveness is ever going to come into our families, 
into our homes, into our, our churches, our hearts are going to have to go out towards each other the way Jesus' heart went out for us. We got to leave the protection like he left heaven. We got to come to that place that's dangerous and rocky and scary. We got to go humbly and gentle. We got to be patient. We got to be willing to bear some of the burden. See, that's, that's how the king of kings became a servant and took the place of the servants and paid the debt of the servants that they could not pay. See, Jesus came to identify with us wrongdoers that he might save us, that he might lift us out, that he might redeem us, that he might unlock us from the prison of unforgiveness that kept us from being with God. On the cross, Jesus empathized with you. On the cross, Jesus put his heart way out there. On the cross, Jesus released you. He released me. It's the ultimate example of that reality. That's what Jesus did. He took your penalty. He took my penalty. I mean, what a great example of Matthew 18, 27. Jesus on, on the cross. See, that's why, that's why Jesus understands this. And it's one of the reasons why in the parable, when we get to that point where the first servant goes and grabs the second servant and chokes him and is so angry with him and he throws him into debtor's prison and why the, while the other servants witness this and they're like, they're just appalled. They, they don't get it. How can somebody who has received so much grace, so much mercy, turn around and do something like that? How, how, how is that possible? Because their heart didn't go out. Because they wouldn't release. Because they wouldn't absorb a debt. And that's what Jesus did for us. See, friends, only the application of the gospel of Jesus will set you free from the prison, that cell of unforgiveness that you've walked into, that you've pulled a door on, and you turned the key on. Only the gospel of Jesus applied to that specific relationship will you find freedom. Freedom to really experience God's amazing grace. Freedom to see his grace changing you pointing to the marvelous salvation, freedom to live in your salvation fully, not being bombarded with the constant doubt, am I saved, am I going to heaven, what am I? Applying the gospel to unforgiveness unlocks that like nothing else does. Will you choose Jesus' way for your life today? Let's pray. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're here today and that maybe the struggle that you're experiencing feeling cut off from the grace of God is because you've never received it or because unforgiveness is blocking it. But I just want to say this. I know the Holy Spirit. I know how he has worked in my life before. He will, he will let you know. Right where you're at, he will let you know whether you're cut off completely from the, the grace of God because you have not put your trust in Jesus, because you have not received and accepted that his heart is out for you, 
that he has released you from captivity and that he has paid a debt you'll never pay. And until you get to the place where you give up thinking that it's about working your way to heaven and release yourself to the goodness of Jesus, you're going to stay captive. But right now today, you can just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm held in captivity by my own sin. I've put myself in a cell of unforgiveness and I want, I want your forgiveness, first of all, God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe his death paid the penalty for my sin. And, and God, I'm coming trusting that. And Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want to live in your kingdom. I want to walk out those kingdom pathways. I want to be that person whose heart goes out to others. I want to be that person who releases and even absorbs debt. I want to be, I want to follow you, Jesus. The Bible says if you call on the name of Jesus that way, you'll be saved. The grace of God will flow through you. But most of us here, I believe, have made that decision. But some of us still find ourselves locked in a cell of unforgiveness. And the Holy Spirit is beckoning you. He's drawing you. He's calling you out of that. He's giving you the key to unlock yourself. It's a heart of compassion. It's choosing to let go. And it's choosing to even absorb some of that debt, to feel the pain, not ignore it, but to take it to Jesus too. To say to that brother, that sister, even while you're praying now. It's a plan to leave this place and say, I'm choosing to forgive you. I love you. I choose forgiveness. It starts in your heart first when you put your heart out there. Lord, we come right now. We come in these moments. We ask you to have your way, as I prayed earlier, Holy Spirit, have unhindered sway in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. We don't want to be in prison anymore. We want to step out into the freedom, Jesus, that you have bought for us on Calvary's cross. We want to live in the fullness of your kingdom where what you want done is done, God. We want it done too. Help us now. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Maybe as the praise team sings, maybe you just need to sit there and do some business with God. Or maybe you want to stand and worship the wonderful gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness you've received. If you're going to do that part, you you can mask up and stand and join us now as we worship the great forgiver, our Lord, Savior, Jesus.